Good morning and welcome to our worship service this morning. It's the 5th of July 2020 and we welcome those who are watching from wherever you may be at this time. Our life groups uh, have been studying the topics in the unprecedented series of materials which, which the PCI has distributed. And the topic this week was weight and the verse was from Psalm 27 and it says this I am confident of this I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living wait for the Lord be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord and at this particular season where we seem to be waiting for things to happen for things to move forward for restrictions to ease and various shops and services and amenities to open up again we seem to be in a period of waiting but just because we're waiting to see what's going to happen next just because we're waiting for a time when we can return to worship together in the church sanctuary and just because we seem to have our lives and hold it present it does not mean that we have to be passive and inactive waiting can be an active pursuit we can be expectant and anticipate what may happen in the future. And it is a time when we ought to be looking for what God is planning for his people. And this psalm gives us both a challenge and an encouragement. The challenge to seek God's will and his plan for us in this time of waiting. And the encouragement that God remains faithful and that we can trust him and we can see his goodness worked out in our lives. So as we come to worship, Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, which endures through all trials and through all time. You are in control, and even though at this season of our lives things look very different to how they were last year, we can still turn to you for comfort, for wisdom, for guidance, and for encouragement. We pray for those who are finding this time to be difficult, whether because of the effects of isolation, the financial effects of not being able to work, the effect on family relationships for those who may be further away, or the health problems that, may be, that many may be facing at this time. So many issues that can affect our lives. Father, we pray that despite these difficulties, and indeed even through these difficulties, we may gain a deeper knowledge of your love for us and a stronger reliance upon you and your promises. I pray for our leaders. May they make wise decisions at this time that will balance restrictions with sensitivity and weigh up the potential risks with the potential benefits to society. I pray also for our congregation, wherever our members may be worshipping, May we continue to know that we remain the body of Christ wherever we are. And as we begin to plan for a possible return to worshipping together, that we make wise decisions and take appropriate measures to ensure everyone's safety. Lord, be with us now in Christ's name as we study your word together. Amen. Our first song of praise this morning his strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Good morning, boys and girls. Um, I hope you're well. 
I've got a story for you this morning, so if you'd like to settle down somewhere comfortable, I'll begin to tell you the story. And it's a true story. It's from the Bible. And it's about a man called Jonah. God had a job for Jonah, but Jonah didn't want the job. Go to Nineveh, God said, and tell your worst enemies that I love them. No, said Jonah, those are bad people doing bad things. Exactly, said God, they have run far away from me, but I can't stop loving them. I want to forgive them. I want to give them a new start. No, said Jonah, they don't deserve it. I'll run away, thought Jonah to himself, far, far away so that even God can't find me. It's a good plan, he said to himself, because as far as he knew, it was a good plan. But, of course, it wasn't a good plan. It was a very silly plan, because as far as you run, God can still find you and God will still love you. But Jonah went ahead with his not very good plan. One ticket to not Nineveh, he said, and he got onto a boat and sailed in the very opposite direction. Well, it wasn't long before a fierce storm started and the boat started to lurch and spill and rock and everybody started to go a bit green. Jonah sat bolt upright in his bed because he knew this was because of him. He knew God had sent the big storm after him and the sailors couldn't sail their ship properly and they started to shout, help, we're sinking. They threw out everything they could think of, food bags, suitcases, everything to make the boat lighter. And then Jonah said, throw me in instead. Then the storm will stop. The sailors weren't sure. They went, are you sure? And Jonah said, it's the only way. And so one, two, three, splash, Jonah hit the water. No sooner had he hit the water than the waves grew calm and the wind died down and the storm stopped. Just then, when Jonah thought it was all over, when he was sure he was going to drown, God sent a great big fish to rescue him. The fish swallowed Jonah whole in one big gulp. Jonah was inside the fish for three whole days. He realized that his plan had been very silly indeed. He was sorry for running away and he prayed to God from inside the great big fish and asked God to forgive him. After three days, the fish spat Jonah safely out onto a sandy beach. He wasn't harmed at all. Just then, Jonah heard someone calling him, Go to Nineveh, God said. And this time, Jonah said yes, and he went straight to Nineveh and told everyone about God's wonderful message. Even though you've run far away from God, Jonah told them, he can't stop loving you, so run back to him so that he can forgive you. The people of Nineveh listened to Jonah and they started loving God. They learned to do what God had said and to stop running away from him, just like Jonah. So something that seemed terrible turned out to be something very, very good. And that's not the end of the story, but it's the end of this little bit of the story. 
Now, if you want to grab yourself some paper and colouring pencils or play-doh or modelling clay, you might want to make a little model of something or draw a picture of something that you heard about in the story. Maybe the town of Nineveh, maybe the big fish, maybe the boat, maybe Jonah. And while you're doing that, your mums and dads will be listening to the rest of the service, but you listen too, because you might just hear about how God turns things that seem terrible into something truly wonderful. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a good day. Today's reading is from James 1, verses 1 to 12. I, James, am writing this letter. I serve God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I am sending this letter to you, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. My brothers and sisters, you will face all kinds of trouble. When you do, think of it as pure joy. Your faith will be tested. You know that when this happens, it will produce in you the strength to continue. And you must allow this strength to finish its work. Then you will be all you should be. You will have everything you need. If any of you needs wisdom, you should ask God for it. He will give it to you. God gives freely to everyone and doesn't find fault. But when you ask, you must believe. You must not doubt. That's because a person who doubts is like a wave of the sea. The wind blows and tosses them around. They shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. This kind of person can't make up their mind. They can never decide what to do. Here's what believers who are in low positions in life should be proud of. They should be proud that God has given them a high position in the kingdom. But rich people should take pride in their low positions. That's because they will fade away like wild flowers. The sun rises, its burning heat dries up the plants, their blossoms fall, their beauty is dis destroyed. In the same way, rich people will fade away. They fade away even as they go about their business. Blessed is the person who keeps on going when times are hard. After they have come through hard times, this person will receive a crown. The crown is life itself. The Lord has promised it to those who love him. So we're going to spend a few minutes now thinking about these verses which Katie has just read for us. James begins by telling us who he is, James, a servant of God, and who the letter is written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So it's not just to Jews, but to all the people of God, Jews or Gentiles, and that includes us. It's possibly helpful to remember at the start here that the, the New Testament early church, these new Christians, were facing difficulty and persecution. People didn't believe them. They weren't necessarily always being martyred, but certainly faced some kind of economic persecution or social rejection. When we think about it, the church nowadays, believers in our day, can also face trials. The word, the world now, just as then, can be hostile when we speak up for Jesus, when we stand up for what we believe the Bible teaches us about morals and standards and behaviour, etc. Anyway, once James gets past the introductions, he doesn't do any idle chit-chat. He gets straight in with what are some pretty big topics. 
There's really no warming up or giving comforting words to begin with. James immediately launches in with a very challenging command. In essence, he seems to be saying that we should find a joy in bad things happening to us. Verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And of course, that's the complete opposite of the normal human response to hardship. Now, many of James's readers then, as now, were probably facing hardship, poverty, persecution. And yet he purposefully uses the words trials of various kinds, for everyone experiences trials of some kind or another. James means for believers to respond to troubles, regardless of their size, by counting that experience as joy. What could that mean? When these trials come, when things are trying and difficult and and we may feel lost or alone or in danger or under threat. And why would James write such a demanding thing to people who are suffering? It's important to understand that James does not say that we should feel happy when trials come. Happiness, which is often more superficial, generally depends on our circumstances. Indeed, we talk about health, wealth and happiness. It often depends on outside things. The word James uses here represents pure joy as complete joy, full of joy, overflowing with joy. So how are trials linked to this pure joy? Because James tells us to call it joyful, to label it as a thing worth rejoicing over. Did he really mean that? Jeremy is going to explore this a little further for us now. Trials and tribulations and difficulties are the sort of things that we all face at some stage in our life. Even before this COVID-19 pandemic, there were many difficulties and struggles that we faced. Life brings these sort of difficulties because we're living in a broken world. But the new situation because of the COVID-19 pandemic means that there's been a bit more of an effect on corporate worship for Christians. We've had to take more drastic measures to keep people safe and that involves closing churches for public worship. There is a saying that whatever does not kill you makes you stronger. I'm not convinced that this is entirely true and I don't think that what James is saying here is that trials automatically deepen your faith and make you stronger. What James is saying in verse 3 here is that testing of faith produces perseverance or if you like patience and it's this patience or perseverance which matures us as Christians. In In other words, it's how we respond to troubles and difficulties that is the key. We could simply grumble about our problems and complain about the current restrictions, but this response naturally produces bitterness and discouragement and leads to frustration. James states that when we face trials and difficulties, noticeably when we face, not if we face, but when we face these difficulties, we must persevere and be patient. The result of patient perseverance rather than bitter grumbling builds Christian character teaches us to be humble in all of life's circumstances and ultimately deepens our faith in God. James encourages his readers to recognise the testing as a means of building up our Christian character. We certainly should not expect our Christian walk to be straightforward and easy. God certainly invites us to come to him as we are, 
but he doesn't want us to remain immature in our faith. Neither does he invite us to join a cosy huddle where we will be protected from the hardships of the world. In fact, quite the contrary, we're more likely to face ridicule uh, as Christian belief becomes more marginalised in society. We're also not immune from physical health problems, financial problems, mental health issues and any of the other usual afflictions that life can throw at us. The world is broken and we can expect to face disease, bereavement, decay, disaster and so on until Christ comes again and we see creation restored. But as Helen said, James says that we should count it all joy when we face these trials. For the Christian, the troubles we face are not a cause for despair and discouragement. Instead, they should be seen as opportunities to grow as Christians and be more fruitful as followers of Christ. We should consider it pure joy because God is seeking to mature us as his followers. The bodybuilder, for example, who doesn't put in the effort to work out won't improve his physique. The student who doesn't spend time in study will not improve their mind and their knowledge. So patience and endurance in the, faith, in the face of our difficulties matures us spiritually and can teach us valuable lessons about following Jesus more closely and relying on him for everything that we need. In fact, I believe faith can be lost as a result of trials if they're not considered as something designed to mature us. So our faith is not deepened simply as a result of the trials we face, but as a result of our perseverance and maturity through these trials. So as I say, James isn't stating we should enjoy our trials or try to put on a brave face and smile through them, but we should see them as occasions for joy, not discouraged resignation because the difficulties we face, we face are a chance to grow in our faith, a chance to learn patience, a chance to learn to mature our faith, a chance to follow Jesus more closely. When we consider the treasures we have stored up in heaven rather than on whether or not our earthly lives are happy and healthy, we can then count it pure joy. Rather than seeing trials in a negative light or assuming that joy cannot exist in hardship, or even worse, when we consider that hard times are God's punishment or curse for, for us, rather than what they really are, then we lose sight of the purpose of God's plan. The trials are opportunities to joyfully mature us into Christ-likeness. We have to also remember that God loves us and wants the best for us, so any difficulties that we face are not the result of God's punishment, as I say, but they serve the purpose of ensuring that we are fruitful followers of Christ that we would mature into Christ-likeness. And it is also because of God's love for us that he provides the means for us to understand the reasons for our trials. How can we know that God wants to mature us through trials? James has the answer in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. When trials come and we don't know how to respond, when we lack patience in those circumstances, when we don't know why something is happening, when we need to know God's will, then James says that we simply need to ask God. We need to seek him in prayer. The Christian shouldn't be resorting to prayer when things get rough, 
we should be continuing in prayer. However, it is in times of trouble that prayer is necessary to help give us wisdom about God's plan. Yes, our prayers may be more urgent, they may be more frequent at these times, but prayer is a conversation with the God who has, by the gift of his grace, already given his Son to allow us to have that relationship and that connection with him that means we can rely on him for everything. We can have thankfulness in the good times and wisdom and strength in the bad times. When we pray, James then says, we should pray without doubting. And I don't think that this is simply the doubts that believers often have about certain small aspects of theology or the meanings of certain parts of scripture, but someone who is double-minded, someone that James describes as like a wave in the sea blown about by the wind, someone who changes direction and is easily influenced. And James is talking about the double-mindedness of someone who expects to manage their life in their own strength and only when things become difficult do they consider praying as an additional measure, an insurance policy if you like. And I think this also ties into what James speaks about when he talks about wealth in verses 9 and 10, when he says believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. Again, this seems a bit strange. How can believers, uh, sorry, how can the rich be in a low position with those with less in a higher position? This seems a bit countercultural, but this is partly due to the upside down nature of the kingdom of God and the biblical attitude to, towards wealth. The kingdom of God is an upside down type of approach to what the world would consider appropriate. In Mark, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And again in Matthew, Jesus says, the first shall be last, and the last first, a kind of upside down approach. In worldly terms, having wealth means security and having more than enough for the future. And it's important to say that having wealth in and of itself is not sinful. Indeed, We read of many people in the Bible who either used their wealth for good purposes or who were rewarded materially for their faith. Wealth is morally neutral, but it's what we do with that wealth that can either enhance good or create more evil. Wealth can be used for God's purposes or for selfish goals. But it is the dependence on money, making it an idol, that can lead to spiritual laziness. The brother who, as James puts it, is in humble circumstances, is much more likely to rely on God and will know what it means to have little to depend upon in this life. In kingdom terms, wealth is no guarantee of eternal security. In fact, it can create this double-mindedness that James speaks of as those with wealth and influence can perhaps look to their security in their wealth. It's a bit like having a boat that is sinking and you discover that there is land where you will be safe. Jesus is inviting us to step onto the dry land because our earthly boats are sinking. The double-minded person is standing with one foot in their boat and one foot on the land. Despite the fact their boat is sinking, they still aren't sure if they want to leave it. They have invested a lot in it. It's such a nice boat. It's spacious and comfortable 
while those in makeshift rafts, those who might be, as James describes, in more humble circumstances, are quite happily jumping onto land because they know that is where their security is. Those with big boats are double-minded because they're not sure, is the boat really going to sink? Perhaps I can still rely on it and it's helped me out before in many storms, maybe it will be okay. That's the double-mindedness here that I think James is speaking of. Part of a two-pronged approach to security, a hedging of bets, a doubling down and trying to keep a foot in each camp. Such a person does not rely solely in God's power to provide wisdom and security. He's using prayer as a backup to his own means and his own abilities. He's not prepared to step out of the boat and rely on God alone. So yes, it is good to pray in the tough times. James tells us that that is where we gain wisdom. That is how and why we deepen our faith through the trials that we've already talked about. But if prayer is used simply to cover another angle, then it doesn't actually strengthen faith. It sees prayer as an additional bargaining chip with God. We shouldn't be resorting to prayer when things get rough. We should be continuing in prayer. The double-minded person believes the good times are either an entitlement or something that is deserved or has been earned and that bad times are what God is for. And as James says, that man should expect to receive nothing because to him God is simply an insurance or a last resort. So James advises believers that they be patient in times of trouble and seek God's wisdom in prayer. The sort of questions they should be asking are, what does God want to teach me through this time of difficulty? How can I rely more on God because of this? For the believer, knowing that the difficulties we face have a purpose can be reassuring, should be reassuring. We know that this life is short and we have an eternal existence to look forward to. This is the reward for the believer through these trials. As James says in verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, summing up, after a sermon I love to do two things. See if I can summarise it in a sentence or two and then ask, so what? What do I do with what I've heard? So, first of all, summing up, there's a wonderful quote from Thomas Howard, and this expresses the thoughts that we've discussed. Thomas says, After a dreary night of affliction comes the bright morning of glory. Since our lives are short, our trials cannot be long. As our riches take wings and fly away, so do our sufferings. And so what do we do with this? Well, we know that trials and difficulties and unwanted circumstances will come our way, but when we look at our lives from the perspective of the Kingdom of Heaven, we can count the troubles all joy, and we can be enriched by the provision of prayer. So it's a matter of consciously turning our thinking around, away from the human perspective to the heavenly perspective, looking at the potential joy, the potential benefits, and the potential for spiritual growth in every situation which comes our way. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word, which we've heard just now. May your message to each one of us enter our minds and, and find it, its home in our hearts. Prompt us, we pray, to think about it and ponder it over again so that it may shape our thoughts and ultimately change our attitudes to many things, including trials, suffering, and where we find our joy. And as our attitudes change, may our behaviour change too, so that we might each walk according to your way for us. So as we step into this coming week, may we know your presence with us, guiding us by your spirit into all that you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <music>